Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 19. I'll be focusing on a few verses in the middle of the psalm, but I want us to hear the whole psalm. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent of hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we consider God's word together. Father, it's our prayer this morning that as we consider your law, that we would know the promised blessing of your word, that it would revive us, that it would make us wise, that it would give us joy, that it would enlighten our eyes. Father, I pray that we would taste the sweetness of your word, that we would know how precious it is. And Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. For we ask it in the name of our rock and our redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, next week we begin a new sermon series in the book of Exodus. We've just come through a long, year-long series in the book of John, and we're going to enter into uh, a long series in the book of Exodus. But given the change of plans this morning, I thought Psalm 19 would serve as a prologue to our study in Exodus and prepare us to to think about how, how we will enter into our meditation on this book of Exodus, the posture that we ought to have as we come to this study. Remember how the Psalms begin with Psalm 1. There's a description there of the blessed man. And the blessed man, the blessed woman, is one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And we see all through scripture the celebration of the word of God. And David again and again rejoices in God's law. He rejoices in God's word. And he says, I meditate on it day and night. 
He's always ruminating upon Scripture. And as he meditates, he delights. And we see that relationship. As we meditate on the Word of God, we do come to taste its sweetness. We come to know how precious it is. We delight in it. And David says in Psalm 1 that those who delight in the law of the Lord are those who meditate on it. And the law in Hebrew is Torah. That's the first five books, but that's too narrow a definition of the biblical word law. And we just need to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to recognize that. As we read those books, we find there, yes, commandments, but also history, testimony, genealogy, prophecy, song, psalm. That's the law of God. That's Torah. And next week, we'll, be, we'll begin a study in Exodus. That's Torah. Exodus is law. And we'll find as we work our way through Exodus, we are working our way through, yes, commandments, but also history, testimony, genealogies, prophecy, songs. Now, the psalm that we just read, Psalm 19, and in that psalm, David gives us reason why we meditate on his law. He gives us reason why we delight in God's law. And it's fitting that before we enter into a study of Exodus that we hear what David says about the book of Exodus. It's also fitting at a moment like this, this week, that we are reminded of the perfection, the certainty, the rightness, the purity of the word of God. We're living in a difficult time. We're going through a trial. Some of you are experiencing that more severely than others, but we are together in this. We're going through this trial together. And as you think of what's going on in the world around us, we see so much corruption, not perfection. We see so much that's not right. We see that which is impure rather than pure. And there's so much uncertainty around us. And this morning we are reminded that the word of God is sure. The word of God is right. The word of God is true. The word of God is pure. So I'm going to focus on verses 7 to 9. Let's hear those verses again. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We need reviving at a time like this. We need wisdom at a time like this. We need joy at a time like this. We need enlightenment at a time like this. And we find it in the law of God. We'll find it as we work our way through Exodus. And I want to simply, in the time that we have this morning, just go through this line by line. Consider what David shows us here about the glory of God's law and the promised blessing of God's law. But before we go through line by line, notice the the first line of verse 9. David's been celebrating the law of God, but there he speaks of the fear of the Lord. And that's important. Because that tells us the basic posture that we take before the Lord and before his word. The fear of the Lord. And the word of God calls us to the fear of the Lord. And if we are to rightly respond to God's word, we must 
do so in the fear of the Lord. Now, we can't simply reduce that word fear to being scared. You know, kids, when you think of fear, you might think of being scared or afraid, like you're afraid of the dark. But that's too, again, narrow a view of fear. It's not just that we're afraid of the Lord. Now, I think of Psalm, or Isaiah 66. There, the prophet declares that the whole creation is God's temple, his throne. But as he sits enthroned over all creation, he looks down. And who is he looking for? He's looking for those who are contrite in spirit and who tremble at his word. We tremble at his word. I think of Psalm chapter 2, where we are exhorted at the end of that psalm, kiss the king, kiss the son. And then it says, rejoice with trembling. Now that phrase captures the fear of the Lord. Rejoice with trembling. We tremble before the Lord, but we do so joyfully. One of the Psalms of Ascent says, With the Lord there is forgiveness of sins, that we may fear him. So there, we know in, in knowing his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, we learn the fear of the Lord. And the difference between our natural fear and the fear of the Lord, our natural fear causes us to retreat. We want to run away. We cower. But the fear of the Lord actually causes us to draw near to him. It draws us to the Lord. We come before him with joy and with trembling. Now that's the posture we have before our Lord. That's the posture we have before his word. And as we work our way through Exodus, we need to tremble at his word. We come in the fear of the Lord. And then before we go through line by line, I want us to notice something else that we see in these verses. It's a refrain. In each verse, in each line, uh, line of this psalm, of these verses, we read, of the Lord. Of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord. And we remember that. That as we are considering the law, as we are considering Exodus, it is of the Lord. And then we recognize that the law, the book of Exodus, is... His gift to us. It's his. It's his word. The law is a gift. He's the giver. And the reason that David delights in the law is not just because it's the law. He delights in the law because it's the law of the Lord. It's his law. He delights in the Lord. And as we grow in the fear of the Lord, we will grow in the delight of the Lord. So as we begin this journey through Exodus, as we meditate on his law... We do so in the fear of the Lord, in joyful, reverent obedience. And we can't lose sight of that word as we work through Exodus, the word obedience. Again and again, we see this repeated in Deuteronomy. Fearing the Lord means keeping his word, obeying his word. And so we're reminded that even as we celebrate what David says about the law here, we, we know the truth of what David says when we keep it, when we obey. So now let's look at what David says line by line, starting in verse 7, the first line. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. God's law, God's word, is perfect. That means it's complete. It's final. 
There's nothing that needs to be added. There are no revisions that need to happen. Nothing needs to be changed. Nothing needs to be taken out. It's perfect. It's complete. It's final. I find what the Westminster Confession says about this helpful. So this is the the first statement of the Westminster Confession. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his glory, man's salvation, faith, and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. So the law of the Lord is perfect. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. It's whole. It's complete. It's perfect. Now, David says it's perfect, and it revives the soul. That's the promise. It gives life. The Word of God is not perfect simply in an abstract technical sense. The perfection of the law is known in the life that it brings. It is life-giving. Think of the image that the prophet Isaiah gives us in Isaiah 55. He says, the word of the Lord accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it. It does not return to him empty. It's active. It's effective. And Isaiah goes on to say, just as the rain comes down and waters the earth and life springs forth, so it is with the word of God. It brings life. It works It's effective. It's active. So the perfect word of God is life-giving. We need life. We need to be revived. I'm sure many of us came here this morning and we, we are longing for our souls to be revived. The perfect word of God revives our souls. Now, as we read through the New Testament, we may wonder about some of the statements that the Apostle Paul makes. So he does say in Galatians 3.21, the law of God cannot give life. It cannot give life. So what do we make of what David says, that it revives the soul, and what Paul says, it does not give life? Well, Paul there is speaking of the law on its own. And he says the law on its own is a dead letter. He says that about the law. Because the law on its own, received by a dead people, is dead. It's a dead letter. But he says in 2 Corinthians 3.6, Yes, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And we never view the Word of God apart from the work of the Spirit of God. The Word of God is the Spirit's words. They are the words of the Spirit, inspired by the Spirit, given by the Spirit. And the word of God is life-giving because it is the word given by the Spirit to a people who are being made alive by the Spirit. And so as we are reading through Exodus, these are Spirit-given words. And by means of the word of God, the Spirit gives life. That's why the word is life-giving. Because through the word, the Spirit gives life. 
And as we are working our way through Exodus, but even day by day as you're reading your Bible, it's not just you reading words on a page as though you were reading a novel or the newspaper. These are spirit-given words, and the spirit is at work in your reading, giving you life. The spirit gives life. It revives. Now, the word that David uses here for, for revive also carries the idea of convert, conversion. It transforms us. It converts us. Some of the translations, the King James, for example, reads, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And the law of God converts us. It changes us. That's part of how we experience the life. We are converted. We're changed. It convicts us. It turns us. It brings us back to God. Now, we need to be ready for that as we work through Exodus. It's a converting word. It's going to change us. So that's the first thing that David says. Now, the second part of verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's certain. It's solid. It's reliable. It's dependable. You can stand on the word of God. You're secure on the word of God. You are safe on the word of God. And we are living in a time where the word of man and the instability of the word of God, the, un, or the instability of the word of man, the unreliability of the word of man is obvious, and we know it. And you know from your colleagues, from your neighbors, from family, that the sifting sand, the sinking sand of the word of men is causing anxiety, causing worry, causing fear. But the word of God is sure. It's dependable. And here, David tells us, it makes wise the simple. As we stand on the word of God, we are made wise. And the biblical word for wisdom carries the idea of not so much smarts, you know, you've got a certain intellectual advantage, but skill. Wisdom is skill. It's competence. So we will read as we work our way through Exodus about Ohaliab and Bezalel. They are filled with the Spirit, and the first gift of the Spirit that they receive is wisdom. And it's skill. It's the skill to build the tabernacle, to weave the garments of the, in the tapestries, to, to shape and, and prepare the instruments in the, the furniture of the tabernacle, to, to make the, the priestly vestments of Aaron. They need skill for that. That's wisdom. Think when we, when we go look ahead in Scripture after Exodus, Solomon... A wise man, he asks for wisdom. That wisdom isn't just so that he can, he can rule the people well. Because Solomon is also the one who builds the temple. Just as Bezalel and Ohaliah built the tabernacle. Wisdom is skill. And as we submit ourselves to the word of God, and as we trust in his word and stand on his word, we become wise, we become competent, we become skilled. And that skill, that wisdom comes as, not just as we study the word, but as we keep it and obey it. That's the wisdom. The wisdom is in obeying the word of God. Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me. So yes, we study scripture, we learn scripture. 
But Moses goes on to say, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. We're not just learning about the word of God. It's keeping it and doing it. For that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the people. That will be our wisdom and understanding in the sight of the people in the city of Toronto. As we keep the law, as we do the law. Now David has a particular people in view here. The simple. The simple will be made wise. Now who are the simple? We meet them again and again in the book of Proverbs. The simple. And the simple is the person who is undecided. That's what it means to be simple. Undecided. The word literally carries the idea of being Open-minded, which we may think is good. You know, you should be open-minded. You don't want to be closed-minded. But it means you're undecided. You're kind of, you're just on the fence constantly. You're unsure. Am I going to go this way or that way? I don't know. That's the simple. Now, this tells us that wisdom carries with it conviction. As we are made wise, we become convinced of the word of God. We become convicted by the word of God. And then we walk in that conviction. So the, the, the testimony of God is sure, and it makes the unconvicted convicted. It makes those who are waffling, it gives them certainty, surety. They're sure now. And as we keep God's word, as we obey God's word, we grow in conviction, and we become more confident in God's word. And then we know, as David says here, yes, the testimony of the Lord is sure. I know that because I've been keeping it. I've become wise. I'm walking and living in conviction. The conviction of God's word. Then verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The word precept carries, uh, carries the idea of something that is a call to action. It sets out for us our obligations, what we're supposed to do. That's a precept. And here David says the precepts of the Lord are right. They're right. They call you to do the right things. And we're reminded here that God's law defines what is right. It directs us in terms of what is right. It sets before us a straight path. It calls on us to walk that path. Now, without the word of God, we are not walking a straight path. We, we are wandering. We are going all over the place. Let's just take a step back and look at where our society has gone the last 18, 19 months. Is that a straight path? On our own, we wander. And we wander because our hearts are crooked. Our hearts aren't right. And since our hearts are crooked, we walk crooked. That's why we need the law of God. It shows us this is what is right. Walk this path. And as we walk that path, it's converting us. It's changing us. It's giving us a right heart. So it directs us. It shapes us. It converts us. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. An upright heart is a joyful heart. Walking the right path. Walking the straight path is joyful. We rejoice. 
It causes our heart to rejoice. We're warned in the Proverbs, the way of the transgressor is hard. That's a hard path. It's a crooked path and it's a hard path. But in Psalm 25, verse 10, we read, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. When we are walking down the right path, the straight path that God sets out for us, we find it is a path of steadfast love and faithfulness. That's why it's a joyful path. Our heart rejoices. And as we walk down that path, we know his presence because he's leading us down that path. And if we're walking down that path, we're with him because that's where he's leading us. If we're wandering off over here, we don't have the assurance of his presence. But in his presence, there's fullness of joy. So the precepts of the Lord are right. They're straight. And as we walk in them, our heart rejoices. Then the second part of verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So yes, we read in verse 7 that the, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete. It's whole. But here we read that it's also pure. It's not just that it's perfect. It's pure. There's no corruption. No impurity. No error in the word of God. It's pure. It's without error. It's without corruption. That's why we call this the Holy Bible. That's what it says right there in my Bible. It's not just the Bible. It's the Holy Bible. It's holy. Things that are holy are pure. God is holy. He's pure. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is pure. His word is pure. God is holy. His word is holy. God's word has been given to us by his Holy Spirit. So as we read through scripture, we know these words are pure. There's no corruption here. It's been preserved. It's been maintained. God's spirit has done that. Preserved and maintained his word. It's without error. And for that reason, it enlightens our eyes. Because it's clear, because it's clean, because it's pure, it enlightens our eyes. Now, on our own, without the light, the pure light of God's word, we are walking in darkness. We are stumbling. And again, look at our society around us. That is, that is a picture of stumbling in the darkness. And stumbling because people are relying on their own knowledge and wisdom. We think we can see things aright. We think we have a clear perspective on things. But we don't. And we're reminded of what we read in the Proverbs. There is a way that seems good to a man. A way that seems right. Many people that you know that are unbelievers, they're walking on a, in a path. They think that's the right way. That's the way that seems right. And then the Proverbs says, that way leads to death. The way that seems right to you leads to death. Why is that? Because as the prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. You want to know what the most deceitful thing in the world is? The human heart. It is desperately sick. Now, we live in the West. We live in in a nation that, as we look at the history of the West, of course there is a, a, a long history of society being shaped by the word of God. 
We, we, we see the vestiges of Christian faith and the blessing of Christian faith, which we're still experiencing, even though those are being stripped. But we also have, in, in the history of the West, the enlightenment of the 17th century, 18th century, a time where there was a stated confidence in man's reason, in our ability. We think this is right. We've got a handle on this. We can understand this. We know how the world works. We know how to structure society. We know what's right. We can determine that with our own reason. And that was called the Enlightenment. Ah, the lights are finally on. We've been stumbling along in darkness following books like this, but now we know better. Now, let's just, let's just do a brief survey of the 20th century. How did that go for Europe? Was that better? Have we learned anything from the 20th century? Like, the Berlin Wall just fell in 1989. Like, that wasn't that long ago. I was alive. I remember it. I watched it on TV. But here we go again. But David says, no, it's the commandment of the Lord. That's what's pure. And that enlightens the eyes. You may be a new Christian. You may not know the Bible very well, but a fairly well-known Bible verse is Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, we see that on fridge magnets and on coffee mugs. And, but it's true that, of course it's true, thy word is a lamp unto our feet. We need the light of the word of God, the pure light. It's a light unto our path. And as we follow, we find we're in the light. And that's why it's so important that as God's people, we are walking in the light because the world around us is stumbling in the darkness. But when they see us, they see, that they see a people walking in the light. So as we start this study in Exodus, know that the word of the Lord in Exodus is pure and it will enlighten us. It will show us. And then the second half of verse 9 the rules of the Lord are true and, all, and righteous altogether. Now the word here for true, yes, it means they're true. They're not false. They're true. But it also means they're trustworthy. Trust in the word of the Lord. The rules of the Lord are true. And they are righteous altogether. God's word is altogether true, altogether righteous. Now, we've just gone through the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is so rich, it's so deep, it is such a delight. And it is easy to delight in the Gospel of John. There aren't many times as you're reading through John where you think, oh, that's really hard. I'm not sure about that. I want want to work through that. But when we come to Exodus, and I will just be candid with us for a moment, we're going to come across passages, and we're going to read verses, and we'll read commandments that that for some of us will really grate against us. How can that be? Is that really what God's law says? So we'll be confronted with that. David says the rules of the Lord are true and they are righteous altogether. They're righteous altogether. We may read a commandment and think, is that right? And then we look for some way to kind of get around it somehow. 
provide some sort of interpretation that sort of just lets us kind of walk around that one and we won't worry about it. But it is righteous and it is true altogether. And as we start this study in Exodus, let's remember what we read in Proverbs 30. It's the wisdom of Argur. He says in verses 5 and 6, Every word of God proves true. Every word of God proves true. Now, he doesn't say every word of God is immediately true to you. You recognize it right away. No, sometimes we wrestle with it. That's okay. But every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Let's remember that as God's people at the end of 2021, going into the end of 2021. We are people who trust that every word of God proves true. And therefore, we're not going to add to it. We're not going to take away from it. We're not going to try and scoot around it. And we, we trust it will prove true. And those of you that have been believers a long time, I'm sure there are passages that you've wrestled with, and you know that over time, it does prove true. I can testify to that. Passages I had a hard time with 10 years ago, now I recognize, ah, it's proved true. And so in that sense, we persevere in Exodus. There'll be some difficult passages to work through. But it will prove true. And it proves true as we walk in obedience, as we keep his word. So as we begin this study in Exodus, we do so in the light of what David has said about the law of God in these verses. The law of God is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And as we recognize and affirm the the perfection, the certainty, the truth, the altogether righteousness, the purity of God's word, we're also reminded that we can't claim the same for ourselves. We're not pure. We're not certain. We're not true. We're not altogether righteous. We're not pure. And that's why David goes on to say in verses 12 and 13, who can discern his errors? And he cries out, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Oftentimes we don't even know the sin that is in our hearts. But then we do know the sin that is in our hearts. And David says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Keep me back, Lord. Hold me back. Don't let them have dominion over me. Remember the word of God to Cain. When he went away grieved that the Lord had rejected his sacrifice and accepted his brother Abel's sacrifice. Remember the warning that God gave him, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. You must rule over it. And here David says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. 
So Psalm 19, yes, holds forth the, the beauty, the perfection, the purity, the certainty, the righteousness of God's word. But it also reminds us that our hearts are not so. And so David cries out for the Lord's deliverance from his sin. And so Psalm 19 points us to Christ. And that's how it ends. He's our rock and our redeemer. And it points us to the one who delivers us from our transgressions. The one whose shed blood does make us innocent of transgression. Who does make us blameless. And we're reminded that these are the testimonies, the commandments, the rules, the precepts of the Lord. And our Lord Jesus Christ, he is perfect. He is sure. He's right. He is true and altogether righteous. And in him we have life. In him we have wisdom. In him we have joy and light. And so when we come, as we come now to the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that this word is his word. I was reminded this morning as I was praying of one of the very short but wonderful little statements of faith from the Reformation. It's called the Ten Theses of Bern. 1528 is when that was written. And the first one, the first thesis of Bern says, the holy Christian church, whose only head is Jesus Christ, is born of the word, abides in the same, and listens not to the voice of a stranger. And let's be reminded of that as we think of Psalm 19 and as we enter this new study in Exodus. This is his word. We are born of his word. We abide in his word. We don't listen to the voice of a stranger. And every Sunday we come to his table. And here we, we know that, yes, the, the hidden faults, the presumptuous sins, we're not pure. We're not righteous altogether. But his shed blood washes away our sin. His broken body has redeemed us and made our heart whole. And so as we come to the Lord's table now, let's remember that our Lord is the living word. And as we follow his law, it's his law. And every Sunday he comes to us and offers us his mercy, his grace. With him there is forgiveness of sins, that we may fear him. And so let's come to the Lord's table now knowing that He is the one who has made us innocent of transgression. He has made us blameless. And here we know his broken body and his shed blood for us.